Good evening, guys, and welcome to another Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, Birmingham. Tonight, we're going to continue our study through John chapter 8, and this time we're going to cover verses 21 to 25. But before we read them and before we get cracking, let's just pray and ask the Lord to lead the study this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And thank you, Lord, that you have shown us already in this study of John over the last eight chapters, immense truths about who you are, about what you've come to do and about your messiahship, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we continue to teach through your word, that Lord, we would see more and more of who you are, that we would see greater and greater things that you have claimed for yourself, Lord, that you are uh, still today eternally in the heavens, that Father, we would remember and indeed continue to believe in these things because they are the things that you have revealed about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray, to continue by faith. And Lord, we pray if anybody listening tonight that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would hear, that they would be convicted and that they would turn to Jesus for the first time. Help us, Lord, to listen. Help me, Lord, to, to speak your word faithfully this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. So verses 21 to 25 of John chapter 8 says this. Then Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, yeah, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. These are sobering verses tonight that we've been uh, reading just uh, from John chapter 8. And for the first 20 verses of John chapter 8, we've seen multiple things, haven't we, that have really highlighted who Christ is and why we need to believe in him. Firstly, we've seen the human race is universally sinful. Whether you have a PhD or whether you have no qualifications at all, whether you're the adulteress, uh, John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11, or whether you're the Pharisee, whether you have a mansion to live in, or whether you have no place to live in. Ultimately, the issue is that all of us are sinners. All of us, whether we are at the top of society or at the bottom of society, whether we are an employer or an employee, all of us are sinners. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Secondly, we see typified in the response of the Pharisees to the adulteress, the natural and the innate reaction towards sin as human beings is to punish, is to be punitive, and it's to live out the phrase, you've made your bed, so you lie in it. You see, humanity, especially today, loves to expose wrongdoing. It loves to make people pay. Just look at Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. 
full of positive things, but also full of exposés of negative stories about people's wrongdoing. And the Pharisees were no different. They caught this woman in adultery and they wanted to expose her for her wrongdoing. They wanted to make her be punished or to make her live in the light of her mistakes. Of course, until that mistake is your own. <clears throat> and then there's a million excuses, isn't there? There's a million excuses as to why your mistake is not so big a deal, whereas their mistake is the end of the world, quite literally. And then we see, thirdly, don't we, in light of the response <clears throat> of the Pharisees to the adulteress, and in light of the response uh, to the wider events uh, surrounding the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus teaches us a number of things about himself. He firstly teaches us that he is merciful <clears throat> towards those who are sinners like you and me. John 8, 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? <clears throat> no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Secondly, he shows us that his rightful position is the judge over mankind and that he himself is the writer of the Mosaic law. Thirdly, he shows us that in his earthly ministry, primarily his purpose was to bring mercy and to bring salvation, to bring cleansing for our sins, those sins that we deserve to pay for ourselves. And that later on in his ministry, when uh, he comes to establish his kingdom, then he will judge sin. But in his earthly ministry, his primary purpose was to bring salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2 For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Fourthly, Jesus shows us his direct and repeated claims to be God incarnate. John 8.12 I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then finally, we see his repeated uh, responses and indeed treatment to the Pharisees, showing us that whether you're at the lowest of society or at the highest of society, Jesus gives you a level playing field. Jesus does not respect persons. He respects each individual. They're all on a level playing field before him. They're all equally deserving of judgment. But he is equally merciful to them and equally gracious towards them. If only they would believe in him and believe the saving message. You see, Jesus, during John chapter 8, has, shows, has shown us what it means to be forgiven. And he's shown us what it means to be a follower of himself. Go and sin no more, he told the adulteress. Of course, reminding us again, as we studied a few weeks ago, that because she was born again, because she had the Holy Spirit inside of her, she could go and sin no more. She could say no to the sin nature because she had the Holy Spirit inside of her. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us too. Yes, we still make mistakes. Yes, we still mess up daily. But the Holy Spirit resides in us. And instead of being in slavery to sin, it is now a choice to go back to the old slave master if we sin. We don't have to sin no more because we have the Spirit inside of us and he is showing us Jesus Christ. And this was all profound, wasn't it? It was a profound revelation 
to multiple people, to the Jews in, the, in, in, in this crowd that was surrounding the adulteress and the Pharisees, to the Pharisees themselves. And the Pharisees responded to this wondrous teaching of Jesus, this wondrous revelation that he was the life of the world with unbelief. They set their face against him. They ridiculed him, becoming more and more accusatory as time went on. And you see, the chief hallmark of unbelief is that progressive hardening of one's heart towards God's saviour, which is Jesus Christ, towards God's truth, which is the word of God, and towards God's people, which is the church. And ultimately, it starts off with just questions, uh, sometimes questions that are asked with an ulterior motive, and then it becomes progressively hardened and hardened the response of people who don't believe of the gospel. And they get to the point where their mouths show us their hearts, Matthew 15, 11. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Those that are seeking genuinely Christ Jesus, those that are asking questions because they want to know the answer, ask questions in a different way to those who ask questions in a form of ridicule, in a form to undermine what is being said. And the Pharisees were doing just that. They were asking Jesus about the adulteress to catch him out. They were asking Jesus questions throughout the first 20 verses of John chapter 8 to catch him out. And they continued to do this throughout the rest of the chapter. Are we hardening to the, to the truth of the word of God this evening? May we not. May we pray the Lord softens our hearts, gives us receptive hearts to hear what he has to say to us. Because ultimately when we reject the truth, when we reject what Christ is showing us in his word, we cannot grow. And if we've never believed in Jesus, we cannot be saved. Verse 21, then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. In response to the Pharisees' unbelief, Jesus explains to the Pharisees that his time on earth is limited, that he would be going away very soon. And of course, where was Jesus going? He was going to go to the cross. He was going to die in the place of you and me, taking upon uh, himself our sin and then being risen again on the third day. And after a series of post-resurrection appearances, he would then go to be with the Father in heaven. Acts 1, 7-9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And the wording that Jesus uses in this passage about the departure is in the present tense. Literally in John chapter 8, Jesus is saying, my departure is literally at the door. It is around the corner. Soon Jesus would be going to be with the Father in heaven. He would go and ascend to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This was about to happen. The urgency was, was very much there. And the Pharisees 
did not understand the urgency. And what did Jesus say the Pharisees would do when he went to be with the Father? They said that they would seek him. Why would the Pharisees seek Jesus? It could mean something uh, negative. It could mean that they were seeking Jesus in a plot or revenge. Or it could be positive seeking, which you know means to worship the Lord, to adore him. And Jesus says after, after his departure, the Pharisees would seek him, not them, not some other Messiah, him. They could have been looking for the Messiah because they've missed the actual Messiah, Jesus Christ. They could have been seeking to persecute the church, his body. That's a possibility. I think that's probably going to be uh, the ultimate interpretation of this passage. Jesus was saying that ultimately the Pharisees and the scribes would seek him and his church in persecution. And we know that happened from the very early days of, of um, the church history. But it is interesting that many Pharisees did seek him. They did seek the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the true Messiah. And indeed, it's estimated that at 70 AD, when there were the population of Jerusalem was about 300,000 people, about 100,000 people, about a third of the population were believers in Jesus. And of course, it's important to remember that the early church was Jewish first. There were some Gentiles, but the majority of the early church initially, before Acts 14, was Jewish. Verse 21 again, then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And we think that means in a negative sense now, which Jesus is speaking of. And you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. That's a scary phrase, isn't it? You will die in your sin. And notice the grammar there. It's a singular for sin. It's a state of sin. You will die in the state of sin. And of course, this is contrasted a few verses later in John 8, 24 with you will die in your sins. So there's a difference there. Why is Jesus making this distinction here? I, I scratched my head long and hard about this because I really didn't understand it. But then I saw it. The Lord is trying to show us the difference between the bondage of sin and individual sins. Bondage of sin, slavery to sin, the position of being in Adam, you're in sin, and the actions of sin that come from that bondage. You see, the Pharisees were going to die in their sin, in the state of sin, in the slavery that sin brought to their lives they saw jesus christ before them they'd had six witnesses of christ's messiahship they had seen the signs and wonders that the holy spirit had had rendered and and brought about in in christ's um life and ministry and yet they attributed those signs and those wonders to the devil himself they refused to see jesus face to face as the Messiah and attributed his works to the works 
of the devil. And this misattribution, this blindness, this lack of yieldedness to the truth that the Holy Spirit was showing the Pharisees is something called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 31 to 32 says something about this. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world <clears throat> or in the world to come. Many things have been said about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and many Bible commentators say many things about it. But I think it's clear that in the context of the passage, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was specific to that generation of Jews and indeed Gentiles who were around that saw Jesus physically before them and rejected him to his face. And indeed didn't just reject him to his face, but accused him of doing satanic works, accused the son of God of being in the devil's kingdom. That is a very specific sin. But there is still unforgivable sin. There's only one unforgivable sin when it comes to humanity. And that is to reject the ongoing testimony of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ himself. The gospel message is the Holy Spirit's witness of Jesus Christ to the world. And rejection of the gospel message, as the Bible repeatedly teaches, does lead to condemnation and indeed eternal condemnation. John three sixteen to 18, the best news and the worst news humanity could hear within three verses of each other. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, uh, only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Amazing news, the best news. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, <clears throat> but to save the world through him. Again, amazing news. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. You see, the Holy Spirit will push you, will convict you, will lead you to believe in Jesus Christ. It may come at the, the hand of an evangelist. It may come at the hand of a family member. It may come at the hand of a total stranger at work who just wants to talk to you about Jesus and share the gospel with you. What is your response? What is my response when we hear God's word preached, when we hear God's word exposited? Do we yield to that leading, that conviction, that guiding of the spirit, or do we harden our hearts? And of course, if we are unbelievers and we harden our hearts and we continue to reject the message, if we continue, like Pharaoh, to harden our hearts towards the message of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, ultimately there may come a time where the heart becomes so hard that it does not believe. It cannot believe because it has become hard and hard and hard, harder, harder, harder. And ultimately, we get what we choose, we get what we want, which is not to live with God. Ultimately, there is only one unforgivable sin, and that is to reject Jesus Christ and to finally reject him and to have rejected him when we pass from this life.
verse 22 and 23. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. Despite this dire warning from Jesus, the Pharisees still don't get it. They think Christ's proclamation of going somewhere that they cannot go means that actually he's going to kill himself and that they could never go there. They could never be in that position. And actually what this tells us is the Pharisees were the, were the supreme uh, leaders of pride. They really did not think they would ever go to that place where they were accusing Jesus of, which of course was false, but they thought Jesus was saying he was going to kill himself. And their wording tells us that they were so proud that they thought they could never go there. They thought they could never have such severe depression, such severe heartache that they would contemplate taking their own life. And of course, such pride in leadership, such um, superiority to the people that are leading is not God's will. It is not what God wants from leaders. God wants leaders who are servant hearted who reflect Christ's mercy to those that they lead, who draw beside those who are suffering, who ask questions, sensitive questions of those that are suffering so that they can help and they can point in the right direction and they can indeed just be a supportive ear and pray for that person and love that person unconditionally because that is what Christ-like leadership looks like this superiority complex, this arrogance from the Pharisees was just another sign that their hearts were hardening, that their hearts were hard to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Christ was teaching spiritual truths, but the Pharisees were living in earthly pride, in earthly arrogance, in earthly superiority. You see, they were still thinking in the physical. They were still thinking in their flesh, in this worldly perspective rather than the heavenly perspective that Christ came to show us. You see, this world wants you to live in the world. This world wants you to live in the flesh. It wants you to delight in pleasure. It wants you to indulge every fleshly appetite you have. It wants you to entertain worldly philosophies and adopt the remedies and the solutions and the responses of the world's uh, wisdom, of the world's um, adopted customs. You see, when you're bullied, when you're persecuted, when you're cornered, the world says, hit them back. Go after them hard. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies, love them unconditionally. When you aren't given the recognition that you deserve at work, maybe, or you aren't valued in your marriage, or you aren't appreciated, the world says kick up a fuss. The world says fight for your rights. The world says show your worth. But Christ says be a servant. Give generously to all and don't expect anything in return. You see, when mistakes happen, when somebody cuts you up on the road, when somebody makes a mistake that leads to potentially your harm, the world says take them to the cleaners. But Christ says, forgive them, show mercy and point them to me. You see, we have the world 
and we have the spirit. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. Spiritual life, spiritual living, living for Jesus isn't easy. But living through the works of the spirit, through those fruits of the spirit that come through abiding in Christ is what Christ wants us to do. He doesn't want us to follow the world and the world system. Verse 24, therefore I said to you uh, that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe I am he, you will die in your sins. So notice the distinction between verse 21 that says sin and verse 24 that says sins. We've already covered this. Said, said, uh, verse 21 talks about sin in the singular, the bondage of sin. Whereas verse 24 talks about individual sins, individual acts of sin that when added together forms a record of wrongdoing. And of course, the Pharisees were experts at um, fulfilling the law. They were experts at um, the sacrificial system in the temple, which, of course, was put in place so that Israel could atone for their sins. Plural. Every sin they committed, every error they made, they went to the temple in Jerusalem and they fulfilled particular tasks in a particular sequence involving the sacrifice of an animal, shedding of blood in order for their sins to be atoned for and to be covered. And we see this in great detail in Leviticus. And indeed, we're reading through it in the church reading plan right now. Specific sins and specific grievances needed specific sacrifices. What is Christ saying here? I think it's very interesting that Christ brings this distinction up with the Pharisees at this point, because the adulteress has been forgiven of not only her sin of adultery, but she's been freed from the bondage of sin. But there can be no forgiveness, no atonement for sin. Unless there's a sacrifice and the Pharisees knew that. But they didn't know it was Jesus. In fact, they were rejecting Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, or the sin or, and the sins of the world. And of course, this was all fulfilled and, and described in great detail in Hebrews 10, 7 to 14, which says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Interesting phrase. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. <clears throat> Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin. You did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What a wonderful passage. You see, Christ came to free us from the bondage of sin. And he also came to cleanse us, to wipe clean our record of sins. 
past, present and future. Those sins that we deserve to pay for with our own blood, according to the Mosaic Covenant. We deserve to die because of our sins. If he come to free us of our sin only and not cleanse us of our sins, we'd still have a record to pay. And if he come to pay for our sins only, but not to pay or not to free us from sin, we would still be in bondage to sin and we would still keep on sinning. It is only through Christ freeing us of the bondage of sin and cleansing us of our sins that we can know the joy and the peace that comes from our new position in Christ and from walking in a position of being forgiven. Have you done something that you need forgiveness for? Have you failed in your life? Is there something still holding you back from trusting in Jesus Christ tonight? Take it to the cross. Confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you all your sins, all sins, the ones you forgot about as well. And to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Secondly, notice Jesus keeps repeating himself. You will die in your sin. You will die in your sins. And we're not going to cover that in great detail. Apart from to say that when Jesus repeats himself, it's very significant. And we need to take note. We need to take note that Jesus is warning humanity that they will die and we will die in our sins if we do not believe in him. And then finally, notice Something interesting, if you get a New King James or a King James translation, it says, if you do not believe that I am he, or various translations, but they add he and they italicise he, because in the original Greek, he is not found. So when Jesus says it in the Greek, he says, if you do not believe that I am, I am, then you will die in your sins. And we've seen this time and time again through the Gospel of John. Jesus repeatedly says that he is God incarnate. It is not enough to believe that Jesus was a good man, that he was a prophet. It is not enough to believe that Jesus died and rose again. If you don't believe he is not God incarnate doing it, if you don't believe that he is the mediator between God and man, you see, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is God in order to be saved. You have to understand who he is, that he is the mediator between God and man, fully God and fully man, dying on the cross for your sin, being risen again on the third day for your sin that you deserve to pay in order to be saved. It's not good enough to change the gospel message to make it more acceptable, more palatable. We must believe that God provided the sacrifice himself because he was the sacrifice for sin. Unless you believe that I am, is what Jesus said. And then finally, verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Christ was explicit in his testimony Time after time, he told the Pharisees, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Believe on me and you will be forgiven of all your sins. Only God could forgive sins. According to the Old Testament scriptures, 
and Jesus was doing it in abundance. Only God could make the blind see, the deaf hear, uh, cleanse lepers, according to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus was doing it in abundance, and yet the Pharisees did not see it. The Pharisees asked their questions. They got progressively more antagonistic towards Jesus, and they walked away from him. So their response of who are you is in fact uh, one of those questions with a motive. It's in fact asking Jesus, who are you? You think you're really that person? It is a response of unbelief. It is, is a response, essentially, who do you think you are, Jesus, that you say these things, that you do these things? You see, Jesus' testimony was irrefutable. How dare he come onto their patch and do these wondrous works of God and expose them for the hypocrites? that they were. You see, the Pharisees claimed to know God. They claimed to teach God's word. They claimed to minister on behalf of God to the people of Israel. But they were not teachable. They were not humble. They were not uh, correctable when it came to their practice of their orthodoxy. They believed the right things, but did not put it to practice. And then because they did not put it to practice, they were supposed to be blind to see when the Lord himself appeared, they behaved as fools, although they thought they were wise. Proverbs 12.1, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Proverbs 13.8, if you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honoured. You see, the Pharisees were being visited by the Lord and being corrected. Would they accept that correction? Would they accept the wisdom from above that came from Jesus? Or would they not? And of course, tonight, as believers in Jesus Christ, are we teachable? Are we humble before the Lord? Are we hearing the word of God spoken this evening or whenever uh, it is spoken in church? And are we shutting our ears and saying, no, no, don't think that's right. I don't want to hear that because it's exposing something. Or are we saying, Lord, I repent? Oh. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I need your mercy afresh tonight or today. May the Lord give us teachable and humble hearts. May we not delay in obeying him and obeying his instructions for us. Because if we delay, we miss out on being used by the Lord today. We miss out on the joy we could have in the Lord today if we delay obeying him, if we delay repenting to him. May we respond to the light. May we respond to who Christ is, which is the light of the world, positively tonight. May that light cleanse us. May that light show us where we need to change and help us to change by the power of the Spirit living inside of us. Tonight, folks, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with something that you did in your past. You just need to go to Jesus and you just need to lay it before him and say, Lord, you've already paid the price for this sin. I believe that you have done this. I believe that you have paid the price that this particular sin deserved to pay, that it was nailed to the cross 2000 years ago and that you rose again on the third day showing your victory over this sin. And Lord, because I am in you, I 
am also forgiven. It is done, the record is paid, the sin, the particular sin, has been cleansed. We just need to start living out by faith these truths, abiding in Christ day by day to show us what we are to do and to live in the light of these glorious truths. It's my prayer tonight that we will live by faith in what Christ has done. As we taught last week, we need to live in the light of what Christ has done, not what we need to do in order to be right with God. Help us to sit at his feet tonight. Help us just to, yeah, Lord, help us to just sit there and to learn from our master. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much that you show us your ways through your word. And Father, I just thank you for that overriding truth tonight that you have freed us from the bondage of sin and you have cleansed us of our sins and father we just thank you so much that in christ jesus who is fully god and fully man our savior that we are right with you that we are um your children and lord we can come to you tonight as your children you as our father we can just worship you this evening help us lord to apply these truths to our lives tonight in jesus name amen god bless you guys have a great night